around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. One of the things that uh, we wanted to address before we go today is uh, the passing of Nichelle Nichols, of course, famous for playing Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek, but also just a trailblazer and an amazing woman all around, um, iconic, heroic. A true blue inspiration for so many. Yeah, you know, just wanted to acknowledge the passing of uh, a a person who I think uh, has really had a tremendously positive impact on the world. She left it way better than she found it and um, and did that while persevering through a ton of hardship all through her life. Just beloved by everyone, right? Yeah. Like, you never hear anyone say anything but the best about Nichelle Nichols. It's really impossible to overstate how many lives Nichelle Nichols touched. She was one of a kind. Great big show today, Adam. God, it's so big. Massive. Maybe the biggest show we've done since the last big show we did several years ago. It's actually kind of a relief that it is a big show because a thing we recorded today was the, hey, sorry, the show is a little bit light and low on content this week because uh, some stuff happened and (laughs) compromised our ability to record. And uh, so anyways. Yeah, we should start most episodes with an apology. (laughs) And, uh, And we were about ready to publish this one. With that kind of introduction, but instead we have something great to give to the friends of DeSoto. We do. It's an interview with uh, Captain Pike himself, the great Anson Mount, sat down again with the greatest discovery for another interview. He is really terrific. He gave us a whole lot of his time, and I think you will enjoy this interview. I know I did. So here he is, acquaintance of the podcast, Anson Mount. Anson Mount, thank you so much for joining us on The Greatest Discovery. It is an absolute thrill to have you. Before we get super deep into this, uh, I thought we should probably acknowledge the passing of Nichelle Nichols. Um, It uh, happened over the weekend as of this recording, and I think the whole Trek community has been uh, really saddened by her passing. Um, I wanted if um, you had any thoughts about the kind of role she played in the in the Star Trek universe writ large. Yeah, I was really sad to hear that myself. Ethan and I had the honor of meeting her at shore leave in 2019. And um, she was a lovely, I got to meet her son as well. She was a lovely lady. She was, uh, <laughs> she was flirtatious with both of us. <laughs> which was an honor in and of itself and uh got to have our pictures taken together and um yeah it was it wasn't just meeting Nichelle it was meeting a, a piece of living history she obviously meant so much to the franchise but also uh she paved the way for a lot of people going after her and not just in in the entertainment industry um but in space exploration and um yeah, she will be sorely missed. Yeah, truly will be. Um, move on to talking uh, about the show. Um, seeing the first season was an absolute thrill. Uh, I sort of wondered, did it feel like a first season for you since you spent an entire season in the role and you know, many of the actors from that season of Discovery reprised their roles for uh, season one of Strange New Worlds? Did it feel like a first season or did it feel like something else? Uh, no, it did not feel like a first season f- for me, not just because I had the opportunity to be on Discovery for a season, but because we share a lot of the same creative people uh, behind the scenes. Uh, we had some of our camera operators come over from that show and our DPs. I, I, so I, I knew a lot of the people coming into the process, but I had to keep in mind that it was not that way for a lot of other people. And 
as the number one on the call sheet, one of your jobs is to be cast liaison and to make sure that everybody's getting what they need. Does that ever get confusing that you're number one on the call seat, but you're not the character number one? <laughs> <laughs> no, because we don't walk around calling ourselves by our numbers. <laughs> the rare instances that I've referred to it as that. But um, fair enough. <laughs> we weren't able to meet up with you at Comic Con. That had to be such a thrill to have put in the work that you did over the years and to realize that kind of reaction finally from such a large group of people. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of always that way in film and television. Uh, your audience is essentially your crew. So when you're, when you're doing comedy, you're trying to make them laugh. When you're, when you're doing tragedy, you're trying to make them cry. You know, look, you, you can put your best foot forward. You can put together all the best elements you possibly can. You can find the best writers, the best directors, the best cast. And, and in this case, I feel like we did, but, but when you mix it all together in the cooking pot, you can still turn out a turkey. Uh, and you never know when that's going to happen. So with us, we had a pretty good feeling that we had something that the fans are going to appreciate, but you just never know. And the response to this has been so far beyond anything that, that we'd hoped for. It's kind of, <laughs> it's unbelievable because it, you can never really look at what you do with clear eyes. It's kind of like, you know, listening to yourself on a tape recorder. It, it doesn't, it, it sounds different to you because all you're seeing are the nicks and the warts and the things you'd want to change. And it just never feels it's harder to feel like it has a flow to you because you're you're reviewing something that you shot in a different order than that. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and you can get hung up on on funny little things like they didn't use that take you were hoping that they would use or whatever. You were just describing a special attention you give to what you do physically in a take. And I was reading an interview with you where you were talking about being an outside-in actor and I'm wondering if you could describe what that is and sort of what that means when you look at your own performances. You know, everybody talks about the method or their method or their technique. The truth is there, there really shouldn't be anyone's one technique. It should be whatever works. But uh, you, you, over the years, you do end up seeing a few, not tricks or habits, but consistencies in the way that you approach the work in general. And for me, that happens to be finding whether it's the gates or the costume or the accent. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's always from the outside in before I discover, start to really peel the onion of the soul. I'm sort of peeling the onion of the body. And, and there tend to be two camps of actors and you don't get to choose. You are just born an outside in actor and inside out actor. You know, and other actors, obviously, they get the character's emotional life first, and then that leads to physical decisions. But um, for me, it's it's very much outside in, if that makes any sense. No, I mean, it does. And and when you act opposite other performers, can you tell when you're in a scene what sort of actor they are and where they're coming from? And does that change how you interact with them in character? Not in that sense. You learn a few things about you know, the relationship to scene work and how they handle themselves from one take to the next. Certainly you learn very quickly who is trying to perform the scene as they think they figured it out the night before in their bedroom with no one else there. And someone <laughs> who's actually willing and free enough to allow themselves to discover the scene in the moment. That's a, that's a very, very big differentiation. I prefer the latter. Earlier in my life, I might have preferred the former just because I was holding on so tight. I was probably, I was probably, was the former uh, until I sort of learned that I wasn't going to crash and burn and I could go in with a very good sense of the character and the scene and maybe a bit of what I wanted to accomplish and then find out what the day is throwing at me and allow it to be fresh and discovered in the moment. I wanted to ask a little bit about the uh, outside-in acting as it relates specifically to Strange New Worlds because the away missions on this show are just so 
amazing and like look incredible. And does it make it easier to like feel like you're in character because the sets are so fully realized? Absolutely. Both in terms of the hard sets themselves and the AR wall uh, where, you know, we're getting the CGI environments made up and projected where we act on them. So, um, yeah, it's very immersive, especially to a, to a longtime Star Trek fan. (laughs) And to speak to your, you know, your outside in question, it's interesting with Pike because I I can't really point out like a key to Pike. First of all, the character I, I feel is just happens to be by sheer luck or casting closer to me than most other roles that I've that I've played. I'm I'm certainly not <laughs> saying I'm as good a leader or as heroic as he is, but but just in terms of the psyche uh, and the way of seeing the world, we're we're very close. But having been a long time Star Trek fan from the age of a kid, you know, there is a an entire vocabulary of Star Trek physicality that is already in my body that I feel coming out when I walk onto a set. You know, I almost have to stop myself from swaggering <laughs> like Kirk sometimes because that's what you want to do when you're in a un- that uniform and on that set and walking towards that chair. Yeah. Um, but what what I what I'm getting at is that it, you have to be able to delineate between habitry and useful vocabulary. They're two very different things. One is active, one is not. Hmm. And habitry is not active. It's, it's mindless action. So yeah, it's really important as you mature as an actor to learn how and when to employ the hard eye on yourself to, to catch things like that and you know, when to pull it away and operate under the cool eye of um, being able to to act without self-judgment. One of the things that was very key to the character in uh, Discovery was his history with uh, scholarship of religion. And um, I haven't seen that come up uh, at all in in the first season, Um, but I I have been thinking a lot about that and then the, the knowledge of the time and method of his demise as like, two really heavy duty sources of gravity for a character to be uh, navigating between. Um, how much do you think about those things when you're, uh, you know, putting a scene together? Like, are you like when you're in the midst of a dinner party scene in Pike's quarters, does like, does, is that a thing that you have to like kind of keep at top of mind? Well, again, uh, and here's where the overlap comes into play again. My father was a religion scholar. Okay. Wow. Not to the degree that Pike's was. Pike's father was a full-on academic. My father was the sports editor for Playboy magazine. And um, before, but before that, when he started, he was the religion editor for Playboy magazine. And the reason behind that, and everybody's always like, religion editor, Playboy magazine. <laughs> <laughs> the reason behind that is because when the magazine started and my father was there, um, Hef was very smart in realizing he was either going to attract a boycott or a conversation. My father, even though he'd been a biology major, he'd gone to an Episcopal school, um, he was put in charge of um, curating the conversation. Uh, but I have that knowledge contained in my background. So I don't need to burden myself with it as an actor because Pike's not probably not, <laughs> probably not thinking about it all either. Getting back to the to what's in Pike versus what's in you. I mean, we see Pike riding a horse and cooking a bunch of meals and rocking a beard. Like these are, these are things that Anton Mount is interested in as a person or I've read are your interests too. Like how involved are you in the character development of him? I I like, I liked your rundown of things I like to do. Uh, (laughs) Rocking a beard. That is my primary hobby is rocking. That is a, that is super reductive. I know. (laughs) Did not mean it that way. You know, script is king. And that job is actually, I I consider that job more in the the purview of the writers, right? Um, But as a show goes on and if it's successful and if you have smart writers, they are the ones who realize you probably have some insights into the character that 
they might not have. So you'll find smart writers coming and mining you for ideas or inspiration, right? Not necessarily asking you where the character should go because that's not your job. But to just sort of like get a sense of like, where can we take this? Where, what are you feeling? What, what's in your gut? That doesn't mean necessarily that I know the answer, but it means that my gut is pointing towards something that probably in some way would help realize a pretty good performance. But I mean, how much writing on set is there and how much are you challenged in that way to slide a pancake off the spatula with the back of your hand, for example, like, like little choices like that, I think really in totality help you get to know a person and, and what they value based on how they do things. Yeah. That stuff, the details, things like that. That's, that's me. A script, especially in TV, a script is a blueprint and in good collaboration with smart writers, they realize that as well. Things will get found on set. And, and it, that's why it helps for us to have our, our responsible writer, you know, every writer who writes a script, we try to have them on the set every day of production. You know, you get in there and you get into the environment and suddenly you realize that something doesn't work as well as something else might. You, you, you want to fulfill the blueprint, especially in comedy, because comedy more than anything is discovered in the moment, right? I really like how you've got both gears in comedy too, like both the broad and the subtle, like when your Sarath character is as broad as it gets. And I know Ben and I really enjoyed watching that performance. Who was your inspiration for that? <laughs> That's just a, a recycled uh, uh, Polonius that I played yeah. in graduate school. Um, I, would, I was so young, I had no business playing Polonius, but... <laughs> That's why you're in graduate school, right? Is to is to stretch. Um, and I found that character very much outside in. While at the same time we were doing, uh, we're, I think we were in our first or second semester of clown, and uh, clown sort of helped me find that character. And you know, he was you know Polonius from Hamlet. He's very fastidious, overly talkative, uptight, anal assistant. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And uh, so I just I just pulled him out of the back. It's it's interesting talk all this talk about comedy because like I think that Strange New Worlds really succeeds at comedy in a way that Star Trek traditionally hasn't always, and it's not conceived as a as a comedy show, but the jokes actually hit on Strange New Worlds. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about like what is different, what's what's making it work in that way. I think that it's a very practiced take by by smart writers experienced writers who realize that it's important to know when to play the front foot and it's important to know when to play the back foot um it is easy for a for a an action adventure show to take itself not necessarily too seriously but but to be too deliberate in that um agenda because uh, you gotta you gotta you, there has to be a caesura there has to be a, there has to be a pause. The original concept of comic relief was that it came in the middle of a tragedy. You know, it's the, it's the, the gatekeeper in Macbeth. Um, it is, it is the, that moment of we've been, we've been so caught up in the, in the turmoil and the tragedy and the, the blood and the, duh, you know, that comedy comes along, and just cleans the palate for a second, resets you and gets you ready for the climax. We got interviewed for an article, I know that's, it's hilarious for me to even say those words, <laughs> about what makes Pike a good boss. And I wonder if you've got an answer to that question. What to you makes Pike a good boss, like in a, in a contemporary context? Why do you think people respond to him in that way, in that world's best boss kind of way? Humility, I think, which is at the core of what it in, is in us that, that wants to go out and explore. I, I think it requires a healthy dose of, of humility. And they, they, they gave Pike this superpower and the very first episode of Discovery that he was in was the ability to say to his crew, I don't know what the answer is here. Best idea wins, go. You know, and he, he's able to turn that bridge crew into a big brain uh, and best idea wins. Is that also the answer to 
what you find as the most important quality to collaborators with you or the bosses that you've had in your life? Well, and it's, it's empathy also, right? The ability to see things from somebody else's point of view, from somebody else's bridge position. It's the same thing in, in collaborate, collaboration as, as a performing artist. Um, I was told in, in grad school that, that the most difficult thing in making theater or making art, or making doing this is collaboration and that will never change. It will always be the biggest challenge in doing what we do. Um, but that's why we can reach for the stars, so to speak. In doing this, why it's why film and television is such an, an amazing and theater when it's done right is such an, an incredible art form is because it's collaborative, and it takes all these fabulous minds doing all these different things in all these different departments. But you really do have to be able to slow down and see things from other people's points of view, uh, especially when you're the lead of a show or a showrunner. You've been on the show before, Anson, and uh, we uh, always, uh, at the end of reviewing an episode, we always identify who our Edward Larkin is, which is the the person who's being the silliest or seems to be having the most fun in an episode. Uh, I'm wondering if you had an Edward Larkin for the first season of Strange New World. Edward Larkin! It would have to be Celia. It was her first TV show. It's her second, it's her second professional job overall, right? Wow. Her first job, she was, her first job, her first professional job, she was nominated for a Tony. And this is her wow. second, right? <laughs> <laughs> like I said to her, I said, you know that this doesn't just, yeah. Happen. She's like, no, no, I, I know, I know. She, she is wise beyond her years and she's handling it all beautifully, but she's just so excited to, to be there. And, um, it, it was, it was not a, a hard landing for her at all. She got it. She got it really very immediately. But, but there is still a joy in the discovery of it that she has every single day that I uh, love having her on set. That's such an interesting answer in the context of uh, what we were talking about earlier with your, your personal being having interesting parallels with the character, because one of the things that's such a magic trick about that character is that she's there and everybody knows that she's a genius and that she's special and that she really has a a unique mind. And she talks frankly about it without coming off as smug at all. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know how this is possible. <laughs> she's, she's, it's really cool. Well, she's very much like that. She's, she's, a, she's a very special lady. I like her a lot. I really like the well and Thank you. it's themes of like craft and identity, I think lead me to ask you, like being a popular creative person feels like it's gotta be different from just being a, a creative person in general. Like how do you keep what's happened to you over the last couple of years from changing you as a creative person or affecting your sanity in a weird way? I mean, if I'd, if I'd achieved this level of success in my 20s, I'd be dead or in jail. Thank God it took me this long. Yeah. Yes, I do like to make a nice living. Yes, I do like to provide for my family and I want to. But, but in terms of all the accoutrement, all the stuff surrounding it, you know, I, I just, I don't need any awards. I don't need, you know, I don't need, I just want to stay home with my daughter and my wife. So I don't know. I, I don't, I, I do care what the fans think. But my head's in my my wood shop, man. I'm 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 long overdue to finish building our bed frame. I, you know, my wife has been extremely p patient. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm finally entering the the last phases of putting it together. So that's that's all I'm really caring about. That and painting the windows. That's that's I I want to do that. I I, I am so happy to be boring. Well, I'm glad you're approaching this uh, so healthfully. Like, uh, I think you're someone that we hope to enjoy watching for years to come. Yeah, thanks, absolutely. Guys. I appreciate that. And you, and on, honestly, these, I, I'm not, I'm not really doing interviews right now. The only reason I agreed to do this is because you guys ask fabulous questions, and um, I hope you have me back again. Thanks so much, Hanson. We really appreciate it. Uh, we don't want to keep you away from that wood shop for too long, so. Uh, 
and and putting your daughter to bed. So uh, we'll uh, we'll cut this off here. But uh, thank you for uh, two great seasons as Pike. It's been so much fun to watch you. We're uh, on pins and needles waiting for the next one. And um, yeah, we just hugely appreciate you taking the time to come on The Greatest Discovery. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. I'll talk to you soon, all right? I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, we were supposed to be at San Diego Comic-Con. We made plans to go. We cleared our schedule. Yeah, I set my alarm for early, and then I forgot to change it. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, Ben. I'm sorry about so much. Because the reason we did not go to San Diego Comic-Con was my fault. Well, not your fault. You've been very hard on yourself, but uh, you had uh, a close contact that came down with the Rona, and we didn't feel like we could, in good conscience, go 
all the way down to San Diego Comic-Con and be in rooms with thousands of people when you had that news. Um, fortunately, you've been testing negative, so. Yeah, feeling great, testing negative, single stripe life, Yeah, you know. But an abundance of caution that I think uh, we were right to work off of. I mean, I've gotten used to disappointment over the last few years. Uh-huh. Miriam vacations have been planned and scrapped over the last couple of years. Yeah. I don't know if we would have been on the show floor, but uh, a lot of Star Trek news broke at Comic-Con, and we're a couple of weeks late to this, but uh, you had the great idea of just kind of going through everything that came out and uh, talking it through. Let's do that, Adam. Well, the next series we're going to be covering on The Greatest Trek... Yeah. Will be Lower Deck Season 3. It's coming out August 25th, and they dropped a great big trailer. Not a teaser trailer, a trailer trailer at San Diego Comic-Con. Did you get a chance to look at this? I did. It's a a fun trailer. It's another... I mean, Lower Decks is so good at doing this. The, hey, I recognize that Mm -hmm. thing as they zoom past it. That is all throughout this trailer in ways big and small. Like I saw... Captain Freeman wearing a Marishk uh, <laughs> at one point, and that was just on screen for a moment. But then I also saw, you know, they also linger on Deep Space Nine for a long time. And uh, a visit to that station uh, seems like a great thing for Lower Decks to do. Like, I think that the idea of Lower Decks as being a thing that takes place in sort of like the immediate few years after next gen is great but i also really love the idea of having them visit familiar places from the next gen and ds9 series so that we can re-experience those places through a lower decks lens and i I think they haven't done that as much up till now so that deep space nine part of the trailer was very exciting to see yeah, and Mike McMahon actually said there would be an entire DS9 set episode That's this awesome. season. That rules. It looked to me like there was a stealing of a starship scene here. Yeah. Directly pointing at the third Star Trek film. I'm excited about that, but also it feels like if it's true, like... That's one of the best moments ever in a Star Trek movie. (laughs) And I feel a bit of apprehension about seeing what their send-up version of that would be. (laughs) Yeah. I know it'll be with love because it always is. Yeah. I like that the Cerritos looks like really fucked up in the (laughs) the trailer. I mean, the Cerritos, no stranger to getting really fucked up. It it gets fucked up all the time in the show. But uh... the Cerritos has got to be last in line for the space dock repair, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and like a Nebula class comes in and like they put it ahead of the Cerritos and they're like, come on! Yeah, there's going to be a lot of line cutting at the shipyards for sure. The trailer was a lot of fun, very funny stuff and made me really excited. You know, we're still, as of this recording, about a month out from that premiere, but um, fingers crossed that the uh, Star Trek Industrial Complex shares some screeners with us because... I can't wait to sink my teeth into Lower Decks. I've missed that show quite a bit. I still can't believe that they smushed Star Trek series together enough to overlap them. And now they're giving us like seven weeks of no Star Trek (laughs) in between series. Why did they do that? I don't know. Yeah, I was reading somewhere. Maybe it was on Trek Core or Trek Movie. Dot com, one of the two great Star Trek news websites that it remains to be seen quite how many of these new shows that have been, you know, implied and threatened variously over the years are actually going to make it to air because mm-hmm. the situation with global capital changing the way it has been means that some of these streaming networks are not investing as heavily in new content as they were mm-hmm. in the last few years. And Paramount Plus is definitely one of those. Like they have definitely drawn back some of the stuff that they announced they would be doing, mm-hmm. you know, when they launched Paramount Plus. But, you know, Kurtzman was saying two new shows are going to be still in development. And for my money, that's the Starfleet Academy show with Sylvia Tilly in it and the Section 31 show with Philippa Giorgio in it. But maybe. Maybe one or the other of those has gone away and we just don't know that yet. Yeah. 
Kurtzman was fairly specific about more shows with female leads are coming, like they're in the pipeline. Yeah. So it seems like it's those two shows, right? It seems that way. I mean, he was asked directly if there was a chance of a DS9 series coming. Yeah. And he kind of demurred in a way that like we can't trust Alex Kurtzman or anyone speaking for the Star Trek industrial complex because they've lied about this stuff before. And I don't mean lie in a bad way. They're just like, they don't want to reveal any of this until they're ready. Yeah, I understand not wanting to reveal it until they're ready, but I don't like when they say something that is directly untrue. Yeah. I wish they would just say like, hey, I don't want to talk about stuff like that right now. Yeah. You know? But that's all kind of looking really exciting. And we also got a trailer for Picard season three, which we've heard from a lot of places sort of off the record is going to be a really different type of thing than season two was. Yeah. People in the know have told us that ordinarily we would have been invited places yeah. <laughs> related to this season. And they were like, this is actually going to ruin it for you. Yeah. I mean, I kind of appreciate that. Like I'm, I'm down to ruin something for myself, but uh, oh, yeah. I'd like to know that I'm doing that going in. I feel the same way about my life. <laughs> this was a uh, a straight up teaser trailer in the classic sense. This was just like motion character portraits of our favorite characters from TNG. Yeah, it seemed like maybe they shot this stuff just specially for this teaser. Like they got a studio and did some really fancy portraiture lighting and then just got each actor in there to shoot them and use some clips from the show as audio. Maybe the... Most heat was on Michael Dorn's Worf character. Seriously. A character that looks a little different from the last time we saw him. He's gone white. Yeah. He's not even a silver fox, Adam. He's a white fox. He looks great. Pretty exciting to see Worf. I mean, it's like exciting to see all of them. I'm very pleased. I'm honestly a little sad that it wouldn't make any sense to have Data in, <laughs> in the season. Well, I was just going to ask you, are you sad about the confirmation of Brent Spiner being in this series as quote, an old new character, unquote. <laughs> I mean, I'm always happy to see Brent Spiner on screen. I'm always happy to see him get work. But I did sort of feel like the use of him and Isa Briones in the last season of Picard was kind of strained my willingness to suspend disbelief. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, it's tough when you're a fan and you like want people included. Right. But often you sacrifice the credulity of that inclusion, you know? Yeah, and I think that the um, the, <laughs> the credulity was kind of the issue, especially when no character even brought it up. Like, hey, isn't it weird that, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is also going to feel like kind of the first crossover episode between Picard and TNG and that they're going to mix... Raffi and Seven's characters in with the TNG cast in a way that we haven't seen before. Yeah, that will be very curious. I see a quote in here in our shared notes document from you, quote, the final TNG movie. Attributed to Alex Kurtzman. Is that what he's calling this season or is, yeah. that, is there going to be a film also? No, that's what he described the final season as. Wow. And Patrick Stewart himself, like, I don't know if you watched this panel, but he's like, I would absolutely do more movies <laughs> with the TNG cast. Wow. I didn't get to watch any of this stuff. So you're mostly presenting this news to me for the first time. You think that uh, the season will be about them going back to the uh, planet from Insurrection and letting their boobs get firm again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I mean... Uh, if they're really going to do a TNG tribute season, they got to put Deanna Troy and Beverly Crusher back in the pot. <laughs> put them back in the pot. What's in the pot? <laughs> Man, and uh, and they're returning to the Enterprise or multiple Enterprises, like yesterday's Enterprise or today's Enterprise, would you say? What does that even mean? Like, that's some real like conversational subterfuge there. Yeah. I saw what happened to the D. It wasn't good. It didn't look like that was something that you could bang out with a hammer and fix with Bondo. And yet it's been sort of confirmed. Like, the D is going to be in this season. Whoa. <laughs> 
What the fuck? If this is going to be more time travel shit, dude. I don't know if I can still mock that. I mean, I'll watch it for the show. I'll watch it for the lulls. Uh, but some of this news does make me uneasy. And I've heard that the writer's room is like way more confident in season three than they were in season two. And I'm sure that the production challenges of season three are way less yeah. extreme than they were for season two. So there's a lot going for it, but a couple of things that do give me slight pause. I mean, what have we learned about the first and second season of Star Trek Picard in terms of how they like to construct conflict? Like, this is often a central bad guy conflict. Yeah. And we've been told that there is going to be a lady villain inspired by Wrath of Khan right. in this final season. Who did Picard piss off? Yeah. Ooh. That lady um, that sometimes appeared as Feklar. She's got a real axe to grind, probably. Admiral Necheyev. <laughs> sure. Is the bad guy. Vash. Oh, Vash. You know, went off with Q. I didn't get the sense that she was like furious with Picard when she left, though. Yeah. You think we're going to see Denise Crosby? Could be Rami Arlen. That would be a fun villain. There's not enough hair gel in the world. For Ram Yarlin to return. <laughs> Let's see, what else? Who could it be? It could be the uh, that Bolian lady from that prison he was in. Right. It could be the lady that uh, played piano while he play played flute, and then she had to die on that uh, fire planet. Yeah. What What if she didn't die? And she's like, oh, wait, did she die? I can't remember what happened to she her. She did die. <laughs> okay, good. When you really count them all up, Picard has pissed off a lot of women. <laughs> I mean, the number of slickbacks and ladies in his wake that have just been mistreated is uh, pretty staggering, actually. If this villain is inspired by Wrath of Khan, this woman would have to be at an advantage right. against Picard in a number of ways. Getting the drop on Picard. Right. You didn't expect to find me here. <laughs> This is Risa. <laughs> Horgon. Horgon. Oh no, we've got to get out of here. Uh, this was also a big Comic Con for Strange New Worlds, the Star Trek series on the scene after a successful season yeah getting the bouquets thrown at their feet yeah had to feel like a victory lap for them i can only imagine yeah so the news from season two seems to be mainly focused around uh the fact that lieutenant kirk is going to have a big role on it yeah it's going to be a different energy for him not being a captain yeah it's going to really grind his gears what an interesting idea to introduce that character as Captain Kirk and then, yeah, you know, reverse the timeline to the present relative to the show. Right? Imagine going from lieutenant to captain in seven years. Commander Riker stayed commander for seven years. Kirk was really moving up in the ranks. I mean, Riker kept on turning down the chair. Yeah, they kept pulling out the chair for him. You bet Kirk's not going to turn down the chair the first time it's offered. He's getting in. No. I mean, if it's anything like Star Trek 2009, he's basically elbowing people out of the way on his way to the chair. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd say that the biggest news, at least for me, like the news that made me the most excited from anything that came out of Comic-Con has to do with both Strange New Worlds and Lower Decks. That's right. There was a stage crashing moment where it was revealed that there will be a crossover episode and it will be a Strange New Worlds episode that is crossed over into. When I first read this, I was like, oh, they're going to cartoon Pike <laughs> and Spock and, and Una and all that. No, that's not it at all. We're going to get Mariner and Boimler and Rutherford actual. Cool. They're actors yeah. on Strange New Worlds. That's great. I wonder if there will be a Lower Decks episode that sets it up or not. Seems like there's got to be, right? But that would be difficult to do if there's not going to be any crossover. Right, if it's not like aired back to back. Yeah. Like they used to do that all the time with like NBC shows where there'd be like a hurricane and like every show in the Thursday night must see TV lineup was experiencing the hurricane in a different way or whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I'd be into that too. I think the appetite for anything strange new worldsy has never been greater. Yeah, I think it's very smart to build synergy between the shows that are really hitting too. Yeah. I wonder how it feels for the people on the other Star Trek shows right now. Like we have heard that the people in that worked on Deep Space Nine always felt like they were sort of playing second fiddle to TNG when it was on and then to Voyager when it was on and never felt like they got to be the Star Trek show. Yeah. And I wonder if the kind of runaway success of Strange New Worlds, you know, it's always being talked about as the, you know, like most in-demand streaming show when it's on. That's got to be sort of bittersweet for other shows, right? Yeah, and sad in that if that was the feeling back then for it to have kind of continued into today during the resurgence. Yeah. Do you feel like there might be too many Star Trek shows right now? Like I could kind of see just like dialing it back and focusing on the ones that are really good as a winning strategy for Paramount. I mean, that's going to be a pretty controversial statement, Ben. I mean, I don't think there's too many series. I think if you were to add two more series to the current amount, I mean, is six Star Trek series too much? Is eight is 10. I mean, don't forget Prodigy. If they had eight, it might kill us. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would be like 80 new episodes a year minimum. And that means at least several weeks where we have to watch two episodes for this show and, <laughs> and record our reacts. If we're so lucky that they don't build gaps into the schedule, which they probably would, you know? Yeah. Nobody's watching something on like New Year's Day or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I want all of the Trek that they want to give us, and I'm not ready to turn it down at this point. There will be a time where I feel like it may cross over into, like, the fire hose is too much. I can't catch a drink. Give me the Mary Wiseman series. Give me the Michelle Yeoh series. Yeah. I, I can't wait to see those. I, I can't either. I mean, I think that the uh, the Section 31 series is definitely the one that, in my mind, is trickiest to execute and feel like it is authentically Trek because it's uh, <laughs> she is such a dark character. But uh, I think that they're doing enough good over there that I think they could probably figure out a way to do it. I mean, Michelle Yeoh is a massive star and a yeah. bigger star than she was when she was on Star Trek Discovery. I wonder if that's complicated things. Yeah, that's a good point. I had a thought about this, Adam, and I thought I might pose a prediction okay. that we can play back later when I'm wrong and laugh uh -huh. at my naivete uh-huh if i remember correctly oh fuck no i i already realized my prediction is wrong <laughs> already i was gonna say you know mirror giorgio but we never saw the death of real giorgio but i realized i was transposing that with Lorca. but right. it would be really cool if Lorca became a part of that show that would definitely be exciting i was yeah i was just trying to figure out how you get like space hitler out of the starring mm -hmm. role in your tv show <laughs> and trying to find a prime version of that character that could come back and kick Space Hitler's ass, but uh, that's not how this is going to work. It's not how any of this works. Kind of a lot of news from every new Star Trek series except Discovery. Kind of a notable lack of news out of the con yeah. from that particular series, and it makes me wonder what that means. Well, they've got... Uh, season 5 is in production right now, if uh, I understand correctly, so maybe they're just really busy. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense. Well, a lot to look forward to, Adam, and uh, I can't wait for any of it. Do you want to get into our next segment? Yeah, Ben, I'm going to head over to the Priority One messages right now. Let's see what we got in there. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a personal nature. It's from Rexy. It is to Sam N. and Ben T. Hey, we know them. That message goes like this. Hey, Sam and Ben, a belated congrats on your wedding. Yeah. Wishing you both all the happiness in the world. Sam, this is mainly a gift for you because I know <laughs> Ben will never hear it. <laughs> Plus, this was better than yet another fancy tote bag for Ben. Sure, sure. May the diverse spirit of the Federation and the love of your fellow FODs bois. An emergency buoy. Your love for the rest of time. Very sweet. Uh, is Rexy one of the uh, folks we met at Sam and Ben's uh, wedding reception? After party, think, after party? 
I think that's absolutely the case here. I do want to say that uh, I don't believe that a P1 is as good as a tote yeah. for Ben. Yeah. Especially if Ben doesn't hear it. Mm-hmm. Get that man a tote. Get him a tote. He needs a tote. Uh, <laughs> our next priority one message is from Rexy, and it's to Ben and Adam. Is it a tote? <laughs> I hope so. It goes like this. Ben and Adam, I just wanted to send a few more scarves your way with a second P1 because you guys are the best. It was great to meet you both in D.C. after the wedding to see for myself what I assumed after all these years. You are kind and decent guys who are happy to be doing something you love. Thanks again for the broad, Ben. So selfless. <laughs> Good job by you, Ben, spreading the broad where it's needed. Yeah, the after party of a wedding is a great place to just make it rain drinking vitamins. That's the best use case you can get for a product like that. Positive Rexy agrees. As I remembered, Rexy was one of the folks we met at the after party. It was confirmed in the second P1. Yeah. I could have read ahead and known that. No, now we want to be in the moment. That's how we do these. Well, if you want to be in our moment toward mm. the end of a show, yeah, yeah, go over to maximumfun.org/jumbrotron. Fill out a, a P1 message that Ben and I will not read ahead on. We'll spontaneously encounter it on the show. Yeah, makes it real fun. The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Benjamin R. Harrison and me, Adam Pranica. The show is produced by Wendy Pretty, who is out on a well-deserved holiday, which is why I'm the editor for this episode, doing my best to maintain the high standards that she's set. We were thrilled to talk with our guest Anson Mount again, and we want to thank him for spending some time with us. I really want to encourage you to listen to his podcast that he does with Brandon Edgens. It's called The Well, and it's about creative inspiration and just so much more. Support for the show comes from ads, Priority One messages, and the generous support of our viewers like you. For just a couple bucks a month, you can continue our show's mission by going to MaximumFun.org join. Next week, we'll be spending our time between new Star Trek episodes with another exploration of an original series story related to new Star Trek as we watch Mirror Mirror. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on another episode of The Greatest Discovery. Well, Adam, uh, we had a, a big interview lined up for uh, the episode today, and it unfortunately fell through. So uh, we are uh, working to reschedule that. Just we're not able to make it happen on deadline. Yeah. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.